Hello, and welcome to a brand new episode of Big Tech, Little Tech. I'm Sean Weston, and my co-host in Spain is Rick Hookstep. Uh, Rick, I, I saw a video showing hailstones in Spain, but now you're getting a heat wave. What's going on? <laughs> well, the, the weather is, is mental at the moment. So, yeah, the, a week ago, it was there was hailstones but there was also did you see the flash floods that were in Zaragoza? it was crazy the point the, the reason it was such a problem was they had like a month's worth of rain in an hour it was and then there's some fantastic photos on the internet of this circular cloud apparently it's it's never seen in europe before where you've got and it almost looks like it's been created by some kind of graphic artist it's amazing yeah. but apparently there was this very unique weather condition that basically poured a, a you know, dumped a ton of water on Zaragoza and it burst. And, and, uh, but the scenes were terrible, were frightening. I mean, I saw them. I've seen videos. The top. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, um, now Zaragoza is in the, is in the northeast of, um, of Spain. So it's the mm. completely the other end. It's closer to the, the Pyrenees. It's just below the Pyrenees, close to the French border. Mm. But of course, I'm in the far southwest in Andalusia and uh, we're close to Africa. And, uh, you know, we've just got the, you know, we're on the edge of this, this heat wave that is I covering. Know, so it's crazy. Are you getting up to 40 degrees or something like that? We're not quite, no, because we, because I'm literally on the, on, the, on the Atlantic coast. So luckily there is a breeze. There's always a breeze here and that just keeps it down. But if you went, you know, 20 miles inland, uh, it would definitely be 40 degrees in the afternoon. If I went to Seville... It'd probably be forty-five right now. Uh, I mean, it's 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 quite intense. And the thing is, it's not like in the UK where you have a hot day and then at night it gets cool. It's twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven degrees at five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah, and I know because I got up at that time this morning. It was twenty-nine degrees in my house. You can keep that. I wouldn't like that at all. I mean, you just walk around the house naked all the time, yeah. drinking lots of cold iced water. I mean, it's just. You get used to it. I, I mean, I have to say, I'm a, a glutton for it. I love it. I mean, I yeah. just, I just love it. You should probably close your curtains, though, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just in case. It's the privacy in my own home. All right, tech of the week. Um, go on. What have you seen? What's what's on your radar? I, I've got, I've got tons this week. I mean, there's, there's this great new feature on ChatGPT called Code Interpreter, which is awesome. Anthropic launched Claude. There was a Martin Lewis story about a deep fake scam, which I love. I saw that one. I'm going to use my one minute for Threads. For people that don't know, it's, a, it's an alternative to Twitter. And Threads was being released by uh, Meta. And it's been released as, a, as an app, a, a, a partner app to Instagram. You know, for all, the, for all the sort of the negative press that Mark Zuckerberg gets... You know, we, we've, you know, I've certainly been, you know, been, uh, been party to all of that in terms of, I've, you know, I'm no fan of him or his, his work. He has done an absolutely sterling job at just kicking the legs from under Elon Musk and Twitter. I, I have no doubt that this won't necessarily be the end of Twitter, but I think it will be the replacement. It will be the next Twitter. People will just move there. It's the beginning of the end, perhaps. It, I think, could, yeah, like, yeah, I think Twitter will continue. It will become probably more right wing, it will become more, you know, one of these like smaller niche groups that attracts uh, a certain type of following, you know, which you've which we've had numbers of. But I honestly think that if Zuckerberg continues doing what he's doing, Twitter has no defense. We, one of the things we talk about in startups and technology companies is this idea of a moat. You often talk about companies, you say, what are their moat? What is the what is their moat? What is their defense against a competitor? You know, what is their defense against somebody else creating an iPhone 
right? Well, Apple's moat is simply that, you know, they're just so big, nobody could replace them. And with Twitter, they have no moat, right? There's nothing to stop anybody doing what Zuckerberg's done, which is basically create an app that looks exactly like Twitter. You add it onto the side of a network called Instagram, which has one and a half billion users. And you say, download the app. And the first thing it will do is say, give us your Instagram ID and you're up and running. And you have what this thing called a social graph, which is essentially your a, a fancy way of saying your account profile, your friends, everything you like, everything you've done on the Instagram app, everything that is about you is immediately copied across and you're up and running. And I wrote in my article my, for my newsletter today, I said, it's like you've been born 13 years old. You know, you've just missed, you know, a whole generation of, of growing up because you just, you just started to hit the ground running. And that's why... Look, I, I've got to stop you because I've got a ton of things I want to ask you about threads. Um, when I asked you if you had downloaded threads, you said GDPR is preventing you from doing so. Is yeah. that still the case? Yeah. So threads is not available in the European Union, but I have an Instagram account and I have a VPN. And so I just log into the UK and um, on my iPad and uh, it works fine. Does that mean you have to have VPN on all the time to check threads? No. I th well, that's a good question. I haven't tried it without VPN, but I think the answer is probably no. This is a distribution question. So if you log in and you're in Spain, the app store will say, you, we, you know, we won't download threads on your iPhone from, uh, in Spain because it's not available there. It's available everywhere else in the world. Um, because of this data sharing, between threads and Inst or Instagram and threads, it almost certainly breaches rules in the European Union around data privacy because threads will sell advertising. And you, what you can't do in the European Union is you cannot share data between different apps for the purposes of profiling the users to sell them more personalized advertising. The, all the research says that the general public don't really give a toss. Nobody cares, all right, because it's, it's the whole way the internet works. But the European Union have a particular set of rules, and it's a rules-based organization, and, you know, they're constantly butting up against Facebook. And I think Facebook have just said, you know what, we could do without the aggro until we figured this out. So they've just said, well, we just won't put it in Europe uh, until we figured out a solution. And am I right in saying it doesn't use hashtags? There's, it's, very, it's very light on features and it doesn't do hashtags. So it's more of a text message. The reason this is important about search, and I think it will probably be one of the first things they'll fix, is that the reason Twitter became popular, let's say you heard a headline, there's been an incident. For a lot of people, their first thing would be to go to Twitter and do hashtag Titan submarine Titanic, right? You do a hashtag. And then what happened is you'd get all of the stories linked to that and you'd sort through all of the kind of the nonsense. And then you'd look for the ones from credible sources and that might be prioritized. So you can't do that on threads. See, that would suit me, actually. I hope that threads doesn't become Twitter. And it would be easy to if you start adding the same features. And I just wonder uh, if hashtags are part of the problem. In, in creating that sort of maelstrom of, of horrible things. And, you know, if I want to find out about Wimbledon, I don't want to go to the hashtag. I'll go to Wimbledon. And if Wimbledon has a great threads thing, I'll get all I true. need from that. Yeah. And, and I think that that's, that's what I, what I hope for anyway. Yeah. True. Anyway, my tech of the week. Okay. Yes. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, it was great to see clips. You've probably seen it already of the giant sphere in Las Vegas. Mm. You've seen it. 
It's the biggest Amazing in the world, isn't it? Biggest, isn't it incredible? Yeah. So um, it's called the. It's not my tech of the week, by the way, but I wanted to uh, mention it because how can you not, having seen it, the MSG sphere? It's got nothing to do with monosodium glutamate, but you <laughs> too are set to play a series of concerts there. They're doing a residency from September. I've never seen the Edge excited about anything, but he was <laughs> so excited about the sphere. Anyway, my actual tech of the week is something closer to home. So John and I, we went to see an exhibition last week by uh, Yaya Kusama in Manchester. And on the way, we passed a poster uh, for a special VR performance featuring the composer who died in March, Ryuchi Sakamoto. We didn't see the event, but we noticed it got five stars in in all the write-ups. So it was essentially a recreation of his score for something called the Tin Drum. And it was created by a team that used 3D modeling and AI to produce an experience that brought Sakamoto back to life. Apparently, the visuals and the immersive sound quality was amazing. And the audience were almost at a gig with Sakamoto playing the piano. And, and I read that you could actually go up behind him and watch him playing the piano. Oh, wow. You could actually just... You needed a headset. You needed to wear a, a VR I, headset. I don't know. I actually don't know. I, Sounds I'm like not did, sure. Yeah. I would love to have gone, but we missed it. It was mm. only on for a few days. Mm. And I do think that type of immersive experience, we're going to see so much more of that, I think. And I, I think it could actually revolutionise uh, the music industry and change the way we experience live events. Here's the news. Uh, Twitter is considering taking legal action against Meta over over rival app threads, and it's gained over 30 million users since, I think it's 100 million users since it's launched now. Uh, Twitter alleges that Meta, through the hiring of former Twitter employees, has unlawfully used Twitter's trade secrets and intellectual property. Comedian Sarah Silverman is suing OpenAI and Meta in the US for copyright infringement. Tesla plans to launch a retail provider of electricity in the UK households. And separately, Elon Musk has announced the formation of an artificial intelligence startup called XAI. And finally, the note-taking app Evernote, being around for years and years, is now owned by Milan-based Bending Spoons. It's laying off many of its US workforce and is moving operations to Europe. Pad is clear. 10, 9, 8, Launch auto sequence has started. 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Go for launch. Falcon 9 has landed. At the beginning of this month, Falcon 9, a SpaceX rocket launched into what's called low Earth orbit from its base in California. In the process, 48 new Starlink satellites were thrust into action. But what is satellite internet, otherwise known as satellite broadband, and is Starlink the only company doing this? We have some answers, don't we, Rick? 
I think the videos, I think the videos of the SpaceX launches are fantastic. It's what YouTube is made for, in, in my opinion. But as awe-inspiring as the rocket launches are, have you seen the landings? The landings. It's like watching science fiction. Yeah, the, I mean, SpaceX, I mean, obviously Elon Musk again, uh, it's, it's incredible. These these And they're huge as well, if you look at them. Uh, the payload on these yeah. reusable rockets um, uh, is incredible. And uh, uh, But the landing is... is it's something like out of science fiction, the way China just manoeuvres itself, and they can and they can land on like an aircraft carrier or or a you know a sort of a floating pod on in the sea. It's not just it has to be fixed. It's 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 quite quite incredible. Look, I have I have to admit that when I saw it, I thought I was being hoodwinked, and it was just the video in reverse, the launch in reverse, because oh, I see what you, yeah, yeah. Well, you could get like away that, with thinking it? that, yeah, yeah. But it's well, it's quite very Thunderbirds, isn't it? If you think about the kind of very Thunderbirds. Um, That's a perfect analogy. It is very yeah. Thunderbirds, yeah. And yeah. they probably did the, by reverse in the, the film. Yeah. In the but old it's, important, oh. it's important to, topic, this like satellite internet, because it often gets lost a bit in the SpaceX, you know, Elon Musk's mission to, to uh, Mars. colonize the Mar- Mars and all the rest yeah. of it. Um, uh, and that's because part of Star, uh, uh, SpaceX is a company called Starlink, which is the probably the world leader in terms of creating this network of, of satellite internet um, service providers. And the reason they're kind of doing that is that, you know, and we've talked before about broadband, we just take it for granted, but a third of the world still has no access to the internet. Um, and that can be for all sorts of reasons, you know, just sometimes geographically difficult places to get to. And so there is a real need to have an alternative way of providing internet connectivity um, into places which are just not served by cable, which is, you know, essentially what we have today. Um, Microsoft, you know, there's like the official numbers, which says, oh, the United States has got this huge coverage. And Microsoft did some did some work and produced a set of stats which were credible that showed that the United States actually has very poor internet uh, access coverage across the whole country. And particularly if you ma- lay over that a map of where the people are, it's um, it's actually surprisingly poor. Um, but um, yeah, so anyway, so there's a real need to get um, to increase uh, connectivity. And the reason there's a real need to increase connectivity is because there's a massive amount of benefit when you start putting populations directly onto the Internet, um, not not just sort of economic ones, but also sort of social uh, ones. And you want, uh, and at the moment they have this thing called the digital divide, which is essentially the haves and have-nots in terms of internet access, and and this is all about reducing that digital divide to the point when you know ninety ninety five percent of the population of the global population will have access to the internet. Yeah, I want to paint a picture of satellite internet for people who really don't know what it means. Uh, it is what it sounds like. It's a bit like having Sky. Uh, you do need a dish, and there's going to be a, it's going to talk to a satellite out in space. The difference being that it can also receive information can go backwards and forwards, yeah. unlike your football from sky which will only be transmitted one way so you can send information as well as receive it it's slower than normal broadband although the likes of starlink uh, which is a spacex company run by elon musk they have their satellites a little closer to earth 
rather than a bit further out, which makes speeds uh, a bit better. Is that right, Rick? And he has lots and lots of satellites, right? Yeah. So, so there's, so we'll all remember. So, well, I tell you what. The year I was born, 1962, was the launch of the Telstar One, which was the first satellite, uh, um, you know, communication satellite that was launched into space. They they were shot up in into space very high. So you know you were talking about like your sky dish. You remember in the old days when we, you know, the only way you could get sky, you you got a dish, and an engineer would come around and point it to a a satellite in a fixed position in the sky. And then you always you always had a connection. And if they moved the satellite, then the dish wouldn't work. Well, that's because the satellites in originally were were masses, you know, miles and miles and miles up into deep space. But then they could cover a huge area. But they because they were so far away, the wavelengths were obviously it took a while for the wavelengths to get to and from the satellite. So now they have what these called low Earth orbit satellites that are about about six hundred miles, I think above the surface of the earth they're right on the edge of space but that means that they can't be fixed in the same way so what uh people like starlink do is they're going to have about 12 15,000 of these satellites that essentially go around the earth in like a like trains you know what i mean is they're kind of like joined so there's like a a single pat i don't know how to describe it so you're connected like a- to the you're connected to the internet uh for about four minutes i believe from one satellite before the next one takes over but you don't notice as you're watching, uh, you know, Goodfellas or whatever. Yeah, you don't notice it. Well, the, and the re- that's because the, the SpaceX uh, satellites are connected to each other. So you're right. So what happened? Uh, but because they're lower, then uh, they don't cover a big, broad area, which is why you need more of them. Um, and also because they're lower down, they move faster, which is why you have to have one to replace the one that's just moved out of range. But it means that the distance for the the wave to travel between the dish and the satellite is much shorter. And that's why now you can get good speeds. They're talking about maybe having, say, uh, 40 meg uh, internet speeds, which isn't high-speed broadband, but it's certainly enough to stream Netflix. And we're all used to using the internet that essentially all runs around the world on wires. But, you know, for many people, if you're in rural parts of the world and you don't have that infrastructure in place, and you have no access to the internet, this will be a great step forward. So it won't compete with, say, the, the high-frequency broadband I have in my house here. But if you were in Africa or in the Rocky Mountains or, 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 you, or the internet was cut down, the infrastructure was cut down, like we've seen in Ukraine, where there's been a war, and Starlink has been able to provide internet access to a population that has no internet access because the, the infrastructure has actually been destroyed. Um, you mentioned there that uh, Elon plans to have something like 15,000 satellites. I think right now it's about 4,000. So he wants to scale this and become the biggest uh, satellite internet provider, I guess. But he's not alone, is he? There's, there's quite a few out there's there. There's quite a few. We? Yeah, well, yeah. Musk has said uh, that he thinks this will be worth $30 billion a year in, in revenue terms once they get up to scale and he does want to be the leader but there are others and the 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 one that people are waiting to see enter the race and they're building up for it is amazon jeff bezos the uh midlife crisis man uh who's (laughs) who's getting an art rival of of uh, elon musk also has a also has a spaceship company one of the things they're building and i think they call it project kuiper is is Amazon also want to build an internet, a satellite internet network that would rival Starlink, and it makes sense for Amazon because Amazon already has so much of the internet 
infrastructure already on earth because they have Amazon Web Services, which is the largest cloud infrastructure provider in the world. And so they would be able to uh, essentially be, treat this as an extension to to the amount of internet activity that they're already... That's an interesting one. Elon Musk will be uh, done in again by uh, someone who's using the leverage of their former platforms. Yeah. Sounds like threads, doesn't it? I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look, you've also... You, you have got a bit of uh, chest pumping and all the rest of it. I don't know if you remember a yeah. couple of years ago when there was a sort of a race. You had Richard Branson uh, with Virgin Galactic. You had you had Bezos and you had Musk. And they were all trying to... Because there's a sort, there was this thing that you're going to get tourism in space. And, and they're all trying to be bigger than the other. And Elon Musk kept posting these jokes because Jeff Bezos's rockets look very much like a male um, attachment. Appendage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's call them appendage. appendage. So there are other pla- players. Um, Global Star is one of the, the big ones mm-hmm. uh, in, in the United States. And uh, they have a satellite network. Again, that's running a sort of uh, low Earth orbit uh, satellites. They've, but they've only got like 40 to 100, so they're much smaller. Where is Bezos then in this? Has he actually started doing anything? I know you said Project Calpo. Yeah, yeah. I think it's 2025. I think they're about two years away from launching. And they, Amazon, I think, will be about 3,000 satellites. Hmm. Um, but you can imagine that there's, a, there's going to be a problem because you're going to have, you know, let's say Starlink have 15,000, Amazon have three. You've got a bunch of others that have got, um, you know, another few thousand. I mean, China's, bit, this is massive for China because they have a local, they have a, 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 a national issue, which is there's, it's a very large geographic country with, with a large rural population. And one of the big strategic pushes for China over the last 10 or 20 years is to raise uh, people out of poverty. There's lots going on in China with people like Starnet and Hongyang that are state-owned um, China companies that are, launch- again, they're going to launch like over 10,000 satellites. So you could have, end up in a, in a time when there's like 30,000 satellites in low Earth, low Earth orbit that all, are, and they're all going to look like stars, <laughs> you know. So, you know, they're going to, if you're an astronomer, you're going you're gonna to have, have your work cut out seeing through them. Yeah, that's an interesting point you make about China because I heard that they're also trying to send young people into rural areas to do more farming, to become self-sufficient in farming because China imports a lot of agricultural yeah. uh, material. So uh, yeah. the, those youngsters are going to want internet from somewhere. So, yeah, that well, makes for, a lot well, of sense. So whilst we're talking of farming, so do you remember we talked about John Deere, you know, the yeah, tractor maker? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, well, John Deere are wanting to have their own satellite internet service. They will probably not build it themselves. They will get it provided by someone like a Starlink or, or you know, an Amazon. And when I started looking at this again, because I remembered we had the conversation, all of the big farm manufacturers, Massey Ferguson, the whole load of them, and there's like startups called Tractor.ai. I mean, it's, there's loads of them that are all looking to create satellite internet coverage for farming. And it's particularly massive opportunity in the United States. And the reason is, is because you've got these huge geographical spreads that has no mobile phone coverage whatsoever. They're certainly not going to have, you know, if you're in a car, if you're in a tractor, you've got no way of connecting. And they want connected vehicles. They want to be able to have autonomous tractors. There's a huge, air, we could have a whole show just on farming and agricultural machines Let's and do satellite it. internets. 
yeah, yeah. Let's but do I looked it. at that but John yeah but I looked there's loads Massey Ferguson all the big names plus all these tractor.ai I love that one I'm going to I'm going to dig into that one <laughs> uh, but but there's another area as well which we, again we've touched on the Apple Watch the Apple Watch uses satellite internet of course it does right now it's uh, do you mean the whole GPS the emergency uh, being SOS. able to no, locate you yeah no it's not the gps no well the gps will do the location but the emergency sos you know same with the apple yes. watch you know you, mm. you you're hiking in the in you know up a mountain and you fall and twist your ankle um or in your case you know you chop the buttons are falling out the back of your backpack and it's you know you've got to get an emergency call out well that yeah. that uses satellite and uh, they use uh, Global Star. That's how I came across Global Star. Apple mm. use Global Star, and the phone, uh, sorry, the watch will spend like one or two minutes trying to connect with the satellite and uh, uh, to make that. But yeah, that's that's how they does the emergency SOS. You know, when someone's so I can see a, I can see a use case in cars as well uh, for every car on the planet every modern car on mm. the planet using internet satellite because it, it depends because you're going to have you know if you imagine you're in the middle of say shanghai or you know new york or madrid you're going to have 5g everywhere and i think connectivity in very built up areas will probably default to a 5g and, and i think hawaii right. have just hawaii have just come out with 5.5g and they're already talking about 6g so you know i think the, the mobile network it's still going to be the main place. Yeah, uh, but if you're doing Route 66, if you're it, exactly. it might help. Yeah, it, yeah. Yeah, but you're right. When you're driving, let's say you're driving across Australia, large areas when, you know, you're days between civilization. Or anywhere in Devon. <laughs> Where can you drive in Devon without seeing another car? I was thinking more about uh, mobile phone coverage. <laughs> oh, it's, oh, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I certainly think that the, the satellite internet economy is going to be something that there will be a big take up for and you mentioned earlier about price so we didn't really deal with it it's about a hundred hundred and ten dollars a month at the moment if you go for starlink i think mm. just for a basic service and i know starlink have done a thing with t-mobile in certain parts of the states now where if you were on a t-mobile contract and you couldn't get mobile access it would try and get a satellite connectivity it's in a trial so it's not everywhere. So you might find that actually you've got a kind of a hybrid thing where if you, if you have got really poor phone signal, then you might find that sat switching to satellite might work. And if they tie it in with, with uh, the phone contract. But I think planes, I mean, you mentioned cars, the forms of transport. I think planes, that's the place where you want internet. Yeah. How do planes do it right now? Because I'm watching Hijack on Apple TV with Idris Elba. And they keep going on about Wi-Fi, and planes have Wi-Fi. How are they doing that right now? That's satellite yeah. as well. Yeah. So we're just saying they're using the technology that already exists. They're yeah. probably patching in with someone like uh, Starlink or mm. whatever. But they're traveling great distances. Is there any limit to where satellites operate well, I think at the moment there probably is because they haven't got everybody, everything deployed. But I think, and there's a link we can put in the, the um, show notes because there is a, a map of all the Starlink satellites. And you'll see that they're already pretty much covering the globe, but there's gaps. You know, that will just continue to become more dense. So I think in time, the answer will be, no, the whole the entire 
surface of planet Earth will be will be in range of a, one satellite or another. Are they geopolitical gaps? Oh, I don't know. I know there was a bit of a tussle. Actually, it's a good question. There was a there was um, you know there's been some argy bargy between China and Starlink, hasn't there? Although, though Musk has a significant business relationship with China because of mm. Tesla. On the from the back of my mind, I seem to have this story that China didn't want Starlink in China because they want to control because China wants to control internet access, and so the last thing it wants is to have Elon Musk, leader of free. <laughs> Funnily speech. enough. Yeah, but you know, putting putting his satellite dishes up, whereas it worked in in Ukraine. Mm. Um, so, but geopolitical, yeah. I was surprised. You know, it, again, another thing that surprised me: you get about sixty to a hundred instances a year of a whole country being disconnected from the internet, where the government will just unplug the connect, you know, the cables that come into the yeah. country. And so, again, Starlink type satellite internet, they can't kind of do that you wouldn't be able to take a population off but there's there's many examples where whole regions or whole countries have been disconnected from the internet because the government has said we you know we don't want anybody outside knowing what's going on all right so uh to listeners do you care about high-speed broadband get in touch with rick or myself using the contact details in the show notes or find us on linkedin we'd love to hear from you Well, Rick, we may be earning a fortune soon from this podcast because we're on Patreon and we may be getting £2 a month from our Patreon subscribers. Isn't that exciting? (laughs) It is exciting. Yeah, we're not doing this to be millionaires. We're doing this to inform, educate and uh, have a bit of fun ourselves. But but it's nice that um, we had some feedback from our uh, survey which is still live everyone so so please keep giving us feedback and the feedback we had was uh can you make the podcast a little bit shorter and so you know we can make that shorter no problem but we also want to give our loyal listeners who like the longer form podcasts a little bit extra so we're going to put that behind a patreon paywall uh, so you can watch the video as well see rick and i in all our beardy glory yeah uh, so what do you think of that hey patreon you'd never heard of it before uh, i mentioned it well i'd heard of it but i've never used it um and i've never used it as um someone that's supporting a creator uh, that's doing their own stuff although i i see it mentioned and i'd never i don't have an account i've never actually gone in to see it so until the, it was you know until you did what you've done and created our our podcast page it was it's all a bit of a mystery to me so i'm i'm aware of it but i've never used it and the idea of the 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 whole idea is that there are a lot of people that will listen to the show and are happy to just listen and enjoy it and they dip in and out as they choose to and there's always a smaller group within this happens for everything where they really like us a bit more than just as the general thing and so they sort of the long form yeah and and so this is a way for us to be able to give uh, those, um, those, I guess I don't want to use the word fan, but you know those people that just want a bit more of what we're doing, um, a way for them to get it, and they're also able to acknowledge their support for us uh, for two pound a month, which is you know it's nothing, is it? In the which is nothing, no. And you, we are planning to put quite a bit up in that month, so you'll have two episodes worth of transcripts as well, which you would yeah. normally get. But yeah. I've got to say, when I was doing a little bit of research in where to actually host this 
subscriber-only content. Mm. Patreon was obvious to me because I knew it, but there's loads out there. And there's one I even saw today called Buy Me A Coffee. Oh, well, I used Buy Me A Coffee. Why didn't you tell me about it? Why didn't you say, Sean, if we're going to go down this route, try Buy Me A Coffee. Is it good? Yeah, well, Buy Me A Coffee's not got the it's not got the breadth to do what we're doing here so the whole right. idea of patreon is that we create this this members area for people that want to be part of that club Indeed. and for two quid a, a month you know they get in and then they get extra stuff because that's what they you know that's why they want to be in it so but you can't to- do that with buy me a coffee is it a very different model is it yeah because buy me a coffee so i use that for the newsletter that is just a way for someone to essentially give a donation so the idea is it's a virtual coffee and actually i charge two euro i, I would say I charge i set them up to be two euros and every week every month uh, i've got a number of people that like what i do and as well as some people are, are subscribers so they pay my my monthly subscription which works out at uh, which is 52 euros a year so it's not a lot of money anyway they also might buy me five coffees so they say I really liked this article you wrote about comparing Bard and ChatGPT or the utility of you know NFTs in retail for example or what I don't know whatever stuff I've written and they'll say and you know so here's here's three coffees which is six euros and yeah. it's just a straight uh Buy me, buy me a coffee take like a small percentage oh that's a nice thing actually um, I might do but that's that, it but, it is literally yeah. just it is literally just uh, a way of giving a donation whereas with yeah. Patreon you could do all of the stuff around content gotcha right I've seen that I, on your newsletter I've seen the buy me a coffee and I thought oh it's just yeah. you saying buy me a coffee I didn't realise that's the name of yeah. the company yeah Sean, Sean I've got someone knocking at the door oh, have on. you hang Go on, on. Someone's knocking at the door. Somebody's ringing a bell. Oh, do we have to pay Paul McCartney for that now? Or after all, all that. Someone, someone's arrived. So sorry yeah. about that. That's all right. Let's let's wrap it up then. I was only going to talk nonsense. For for anyone listening, head over to our Patreon channel to watch an extended video version of this week's episode. Uh, thanks for listening to the show as well. Rick and I will be back with another not-so-serious look at big tech, little tech, and everything in between. This has been a terrible show, Western Media Production. <laughs> I was sure Western. What was the name of that AI you had the other week? We need to get him in. Oh, yeah, Ryan. Where's Ryan? All right, so you've been Sean Weston, and I've been Rick Huxtead.